0: are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. So I want to start off this morning by asking a kind of a depressing question. Um, I I know that there's a lot of depressing news out there in the world already, uh, so that's probably not why you got up early on a Sunday morning to come and hear a depressing sermon. Uh, Nonetheless, it's an important question, and I promise we're not going to dwell on it long. Uh, But the question is, how often do you sin? I know that's that's not something that we necessarily like to dwell on a lot, but um, if you had one of those little counters uh, that you could press the button and it would click uh, every time you sinned, what would the number on that counter get up to before the day was done? There are, there are some people who think of sin uh, just in terms of outward action. So, if you could just somehow make it through the day without killing anybody or robbing any banks or saying any of those four letter words that you know you shouldn't, uh, if you could just get through the day without doing any of those things, then then you have gone through the day without sin, and that that number would still be at zero. That's how some people see sin. Uh, But hopefully, I I would like to believe that most of you all would understand that sin is much more than just that. Uh, It does include outward actions, but it is certainly more than those actions. Uh, Lust is sin, hate is sin, Uh, any inappropriate thought or attitude that you have on the inside is every bit as sinful as actions are on the outside. So if you took all of those sins into account, uh, that number on your counter would probably be significantly higher by the end of the day. But I actually want to take it even a step further Uh, and and I want us to think about commands in the Bible, like what's found in Matthew chapter 23 or just uh, 22 verse 37, where Jesus said that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. How often do you really do that? How often do you actually love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, every second of the day? If we're being honest, never, which means that if you had one of those counters, I don't think that your thumb would be able to click fast enough to keep track of any of our sins throughout the day. And I asked that question about how often you sin, because I actually want to ask a second question, which is how important then is forgiveness? I mentioned last week that forgiveness and reconciliation are really the main themes of Paul's letter to Philemon, And so all three weeks as we study this little book, uh, forgiveness is going to be a central part of our conversation. But is it really that important of an issue? I mean, does it really deserve such a large part of our discussion? And to that, I would just say that the topic of forgiveness is only as important As sin is prevalent. Forgiveness is only as important as sin is prevalent. In other words, wherever there is sin, you ought to be seeking forgiveness from that sin. Whether it's a, a sin against those in the community or in the church, or whether it's against your spouse, or just against a holy and righteous God who created you. Uh, Wherever there is the presence of sin, there ought to be the pursuit of forgiveness. And so if there's not a day or an hour or really a single moment that, that you are without sin in your life, then how great is our need for a continued, ongoing forgiveness? Forgiveness should be an everyday occurrence. Either asking for it or uh, giving it. It should be a lifestyle. And Christians really should be the foremost experts when it comes uh, to the art of forgiveness. Uh, But if we're being honest, I think most of us would understand that that is not always the case. Uh, So often that's actually rarely the case. Uh, It's like C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, *Mirror Christianity. He said that we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to put it into practice. I mean, talking about forgiveness, that's a lot easier than actually having to go and forgive someone. Uh, It's an easy principle to understand, uh, but it can be difficult to practice. So that's what we're going to look at today. Since sin is so prevalent and forgiveness is so important, we need to ask ourselves, how can we better move from seeing forgiveness just as some kind of hypothetical concept to making it a part, a vital part of our everyday life? So let me read for you from Philemon, verses 8 through 16. So we can find out how we can make forgiveness a a better part of our life. This is the word of the Lord. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. "'whose father I became in my imprisonment. "'Formerly he was useless to you, "'but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. "'I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. "'I would have been glad to keep him with me "'in order that he might serve me on your behalf "'during my imprisonment for the gospel, "'but I preferred to do nothing without your consent.' in order that your goodness might be by, not by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted from you for a while, uh, that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, uh, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So before we dive too far in, uh, let me just give you a quick recap in case you missed last week's sermon. Uh, We we started the book of Philemon last week, uh, which I said really isn't so much of a book or even a letter as much as it is a postcard. Uh, It was sent from Paul, who was at that time imprisoned in Rome. And he sent it to a wealthy businessman who lived in the town of Colossae and who attended the local church there. And in fact, his house uh, was where this church actually met. And the letter revolves around Philemon's runaway slave named Onesimus, who apparently stole some money from his master and fled to Rome. And while in Rome, Onesimus, we were somehow introduced to Paul, who shared the gospel with him, and now he's become a fellow follower of Christ. So, so Paul takes this opportunity to write to Philemon in order to help reconcile the broken relationship between these two men. And last week, we've, we really focused in on the character of Philemon, And the reality that because Philemon himself had been forgiven in Christ, that forgiveness really became the foundation by which he could forgive others. If you remember, I said that a forgiven people ought to be a forgiving people. That's what we saw last week. Now, today, we're going to look at Onesimus, and through him, you're gonna, again, see this theme of forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, but we're gonna kind of look at it from a different angle. And specifically, we're gonna see some practical steps that you can take when it comes to the pursuit of biblical reconciliation. Uh, And one thing that I've noticed as I've studied this letter and you may or may not have noticed so far, Uh, But there's a couple of particular words that actually appear nowhere in this letter. Uh, And those words are forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul never actually explicitly mentions these words. He never spells out a a comprehensive uh, doctrine or definition of these concepts. Uh, But through the relationship of Onesimus and Philemon you see this lived out. You see forgiveness and reconciliation in action. So I wanna show you three lessons that you need to understand if you are a follower of Christ and if you want to forgive and be reconciled to other followers of Christ. Number one, genuine reconciliation must be rooted in repentance. Number two, It must be received in love. And that's so, number three, it can restore you better than you were before. It's rooted in repentance. It's received and loved. And that's so it can restore you better than you were before. So first, reconciliation must be rooted in repentance. In this passage, we see Onesimus He's being sent back to his master. He's headed to meet Philemon. And if that's the case, he must be doing so willingly. Because there's no way that Paul, this old man who is in prison, there's no way he could have forced this slave to return to Colossae if he didn't want to. Paul didn't compel Onesimus to return to Philemon. And he didn't force Philemon to receive Onesimus once he got there. So the question then is why is Onesimus so willing to return to Philemon? I mean, when, when you think about it, Colossae w- would seem like the last place that he would want to go back to right now. I mean, he, he finally broke away. He, he started this new life in Rome. And if he tries to return to Philemon, he might force him back into a life of slavery. So surely there would have been a great deal of temptation for Onesimus to want to stay in Rome. And even Paul feels this temptation because verse 13, he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul had lived a rough life. Over the course of his ministry, he had been stoned and whipped and beaten with rods. His body had a lot of mileage on it, a lot of wear and tear. So having a faithful servant to care for him while he was in prison, that must have sounded pretty appealing. So, so then why did Paul encourage Onesimus to go back? And why was Onesimus so willing to go back? And the simple answer is just because he recognizes that he did something wrong. So he needs to go back in order to make amends and to reconcile. And Onesimus' willingness to return is repentance in action. He stole from Philemon, he ran away from Philemon, and he recognizes his need to repent and hope that his relationship with Philemon can be restored. So so let me just give you a a couple of takeaways that you should learn from Onesimus' example. Because first, you need to understand that repentance does not remove the real world consequences of sin. Genuine repentance does not remove the real-world consequences of sin. When Onesimus heard the gospel in Rome and became a follower of Christ, that doesn't mean that he could just forget about his past. It's actually just the opposite, because becoming a Christian actually made Onesimus' life more difficult, because it meant that he had to go back and deal with his past. In the Roman Empire, slaves were considered to be nothing more than personal property. They had no rights. So when a runaway slave was caught by his master, their master could pretty much do whatever they pleased. One common punishment that I read about in that day was to take a branding iron and actually brand the letter F on the forehead of a slave to forever label them as a fugitive. So Onesimus had no idea what to expect if he decided to return to his former master. He knew that there could be consequences, uh, even severe consequences. Uh, He he just didn't know what. But but the second takeaway that you learn from this story is, is that repentance it does give you a resolve to face your consequences, no matter the cost. It doesn't remove them, but it does give you a resolve to face them. Onesimus understood that reconciliation was more important than his personal comfort. Seeking out Philemon, would put Onesimus in a very exposed, very vulnerable place, but he found the resolve to face the consequences of his past no matter the cost. And likewise, every follower of Christ has their own closets full of past sin. And even if you have repented of those sins— The worldly effects of them may still linger in your life. I mean, you can be forgiven for having sex before marriage or outside of marriage, but there will still be consequences. Eventually, you will find yourself confessing to that promiscuous past to a very teary eyed spouse. You can be forgiven of a life of addictions to smoking and drinking and drugs, but the effects of those substances will still have taken a toll on your body. Your your liver functions, your lung capacity, uh, they're not going to suddenly be restored just because you have prayed to the Lord for forgiveness. But genuine repentance will give you a resolve to face the consequences no matter the cost. You'll be willing to set through counseling with your husband or wife no matter how many hours it might take. You'll be willing to make those phone calls to apologize for those words that you said in haste and now regret. You'll be willing to go out of your way to make amends and attempt to stitch those broken relationships back together. And the reason that you will have such resolve is because there is a beautiful sense of freedom that only repentance can provide. There may seem to be a safety in unrepentance. You may feel more comfortable, less vulnerable if you can keep your past hidden away, tucked out of sight. It may feel less risky, but there is no freedom in it. Until you repent and find the resolve to ask for forgiveness and to make amends and to seek reconciliation, you'll just continue to carry around a heavy sack of guilt, and it's just going to weigh heavily on you as a, as a burden on your shoulders, knowing those wrongs that you have done. So reconciliation, it must be rooted in repentance. Repentance. Because only through repentance can you find freedom. Secondly, though, it must be received in love. Must be received in love. Uh, I, I want to ask a, a question about the letter of Philemon. A question that, that we don't often think about when we're studying books like this. Uh, when we read letters like Philemon, we often ask who wrote these letters But I just want to think for a moment about who delivered this letter. Because there wasn't any organized mail service like we have today. Uh, In the first century, you couldn't just put a stamp on something and drop it off in the local uh, post office. You had to give it to somebody who you trusted and who was physically fit enough to travel such long distances to take your letter all the way to its final destination. And when it comes to the letter of Philemon, we actually know who Paul sent as his personal mailman because he wrote about it in the letter of Colossians, which was sent alongside this letter. Very end of the book of Colossians, which is a letter that was written to the same church that met in Philemon's house, Paul wrote this. He said, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for the very purpose uh, that you may know how we are and that you, uh, may in, they may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Onesimus, along with Tychicus, delivered these two letters to the Colossian church and to Philemon. And just think about that for for just a moment. Because it would have been one thing if Paul sent Philemon this letter And said that Onesimus was getting ready to pay him a visit. And Philemon, you know, maybe had a few days, maybe a couple of weeks to think things over, to pray about it, and to to prepare himself for this visit. But, But that's not what happened. Philemon looks up one day to see Onesimus, this slave who robbed him, just walking back through his front door, And with him is this letter from Paul asking that Onesimus be forgiven. And I'm not sure about you, uh, but I find it a lot easier to forgive somebody that I don't actually have to see or interact with anymore. I mean, that kind of forgiveness is easy. Because you can say that you forgive them all day long And you never really have to ask yourself if you actually mean it. But it's a lot different when that person comes back into your life and is looking at you right in the face and where that that anger that you had over those wrongs that they did, um, it starts flashing again in your mind and you just wish they'd go away. You wish that you wouldn't have to think about them anymore. But if their attempt... To reconcile, if it is rooted in genuine repentance, then you need to attempt to receive them in love. There would have been significant pressure on Philemon not to forgive Onesimus. Uh, I said this last week, but Philemon was a slave owner. We'll talk more next week about that institution of slavery uh, as it existed in the first century and what Christians should think about that. Uh, but But Philemon was a slave owner, and so there would have been immense pressure from other slave owners trying to convince Philemon not to forgive and not to receive Onesimus. Because if he just let one of his slaves get away with a crime such as robbery, I mean, just think about the message that would have sent to all of the other slaves around. They might begin to assume that they can get away with with stealing from their own masters and that they could just run away as well and there wouldn't be any real consequences. Philemon may have even wondered himself, whether it was wise to forgive Onesimus. I mean, if he stole from him once, then wouldn't letting him back into his life just give him an opportunity to steal from him all over again? So there would have been pressure from the inside and out not to receive Onesimus back. And if you're struggling like Philemon with forgiving someone who has wronged you, that as you think about the implications of this text, I want you to understand that forgiveness does not mean naively forgetting how you have been hurt. Forgiving doesn't always mean forgetting and setting yourself up to let someone harm you in that same way all over again. Forgiving doesn't mean that that trust has been completely restored, because trust is built on trustworthy actions, and trust can take a considerable time to rebuild once it has been broken. But forgiveness and trust are two separate concepts. You can forgive even when you don't yet trust. You can receive someone back into your life, even if you're still uncertain about certain aspects of their character. You you don't have to be naive or, or foolish about it, but yet you can still bring them back into your life and receive them. And let me just even take this a step further and say not only can you forgive someone, even when you don't yet fully trust them, but the scriptures plead with you to do so. As we talked about last week, your willingness to forgive others is a sign that you yourself have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. It's as Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 14 and 15, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's not that forgiveness will somehow allow you to earn your way to heaven. That's not the case. But if you can't find it within yourself to forgive others, even those who have harmed you in severe and significant ways, that this should call into question how much you really understand about the Christian faith yourself. Because no offense can ever be as great as our sins are to a holy and righteous God, yet that God refused to turn his back on us, even though he certainly had the right to do so. I mean, just look at Jesus' own actions on the cross. As others mocked him and jeered, what did Jesus say in return? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He asked for forgiveness for them. The Christian faith revolves around forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel. So if you can't find it within yourself to forgive those who have wronged you, and if you can't receive them back into your life, then you ought to question how much you really understand about the gospel. That's why Paul says that though he's bold enough to command Philemon to receive Onesimus, he didn't because he wanted Philemon to do so of his own free will. Not out of compulsion, but on his own volition. Because Paul knows if Philemon is a genuine follower of Christ, he's not going to be, there's no need for him to be commanded to forgive. He'll be more than happy to do so on his own. So reconciliation must be rooted in repentance. Must be received in love. And that's so it can restore you better than you were before. That's the the last lesson of this passage. Reconciliation must be rooted in repentance, received in love, so that it can restore you better than you were before. Uh, It's here uh, that I have a, a confession to make to you if I haven't mentioned this before. Uh, but I have a bachelor's degree from Hannibal LaGrange University. Uh, I have a master's degree from seminary. Uh, but somehow uh, I managed to sneak through both of those degrees without actually taking uh, a Greek class. So I can't read Greek, but there isn't a week of sermon prep that goes by where I'm not using uh, a Greek dictionary, looking up the words in our text to see what they meant in the original language that they were written. Uh, So here's your Greek lesson for the week. Uh, The name of Philemon's servant, Onesimus, that is actually a Greek word which means useful, which, which means that verse 11 then is actually a play on words. Paul says that this man named useful was formerly useless to you but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. It's kind of a strange statement for Paul to make when you think about it, because as a slave providing Philemon with free labor, you'd think that Philemon would have thought that Onesimus was already pretty useful. But Paul says he was actually useless as a bond servant, Onesimus could have made Philemon's personal life more comfortable. He might have increased Philemon's material wealth. Uh, but in the grand scheme of the universe, all of those gains were pretty insignificant and really only temporary. But Paul says in verse 16 that Philemon can have Onesimus back, not just as a bond servant but as a beloved brother. He argues that brothers are far better and far more useful than bond servants because now he has Philemon back forever. Not just temporarily, this relationship between these two men has become a forever relationship and it will serve not only to enrich both of their lives but, but it will also serve as a beautiful blessing to their entire congregation and to all of Christendom as well, because it is a story we are still reading about today. And it shows you and I that the gospel was never intended just to fix a fractured world. Its intent has always been to create a better world than it was even before it was broken. The gospel doesn't just fix the world, it actually makes it better. Just take a look at, at Paul's life, for example. Because nothing that Onesimus did, none of his crimes could have ever compared to the evils done by Paul. Before he was a follower of Christ, he made a living partially on killing Christians. He hunted them down. He had them imprisoned. uh, He sought to have them executed. So you can just imagine that strained uh, relationship that Paul must have had with the early church after his conversion. It was a far more strained relationship than that between Philemon and Onesimus. Many initially saw Paul as a Jewish spy trying to infiltrate their congregation. They didn't initially believe that his conversion was even genuine at all. But as those wounds began to heal, just think about what happened. Those relationships were not only restored, rather they were transformed into something even greater and better. Paul went from being a mistrusted outlier of the Christian faith to a central leader of the early church. In his lifetime, he personally planted over a dozen churches on two different continents, and he trained up numerous elders to lead those churches. So reading about the life of Paul and the story of Onesimus, it should remind us of our own stories, because we are all Onesimus. Like Onesimus, you were a slave You were guilty of crimes committed against your heavenly master. You were in need of someone to pay off the debt that you owed and to make restitutions on your behalf in order so that you could be freed and that your life could be transformed from just being a bondservant to being a brother of Christ. Before you were saved, you were dead in in your trespasses and sin, and you were as useless as a lifeless corpse because spiritually speaking, you were a lifeless corpse. But when you submit your life to Christ and his spirit has breathed new life into your soul, then like Onesimus and like Paul, you can be restored to a state that is even better than you were before. So so even though sin may still be a a prevalent part of our everyday lives, uh, more than any number counter could keep track of, if you can learn, you just learn how to be forgiven and be forgiving, if you can learn how to repent and how to receive others when they repent, then you can learn how to finally and fully be reconciled and restored both to the Lord and to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me pray. Father, just thank you again for all of these reminders that we see through the life of Onesimus. Thank you for just the hope that his life can offer us. Uh, If he can be restored and received by his master, surely then we can as well. So let us remember these truths in the days to come. Let us just become a a people who are skilled and forgiving others as we ourselves have been forgiven by you. I just pray all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.